following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. I'd like to welcome everyone to the evening practice group once again. My name is Gail Iverson, and I'm filling in for Mark Nunberg. He's um, probably, as most of you know, he's doing a month-long retreat in uh, Massachusetts, and he's going to be back on June 2nd. So, some guest teachers are filling in for him when he's gone. About a month ago, when he asked me to give him a title for this talk, I was thinking about what I would like to talk about. And uh, I just finished taking a Buddhist studies class here, and it was on the um, Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And um, so one of the things that phrases that Mark had used in that class was uh, the phrase of um, welcoming things as they are. And I like that phrase. It uh, it just uh, struck me as uh, something that would be useful to work with. So it's quite challenging for human beings to just welcome things the way they are. We uh, tend to prefer what is pleasant and to not like what is unpleasant. And so we push and pull on those experiences, those feelings when they arise. But in this practice, we um, practicing mindfulness, which is this non-judgmental attitude to our experience. So just like to share with you some words that the Buddha spoke about uh, kind of a radical welcoming of the way things are. Um, these are some instructions that he gave to his son Rahula. And uh, his son came to him and asked him for his inheritance at one point. And uh, so the Buddha gave him the, what was called the going forth, or ordained him as a monk. And uh, at some point, these are some instructions that he gave to him. Practice like the earth, Rahula. If you become like the earth, then the sensations which arise, whether pleasant or unpleasant, do not take hold of the mind, nor do they establish themselves. People may pour clean things onto the earth, or dirty things such as feces, urine, saliva, pus, blood. But the earth is not hurt, nor is it angered or moved to disgust. So too, if you practice like the earth Rahula, then sensations which arise, whether pleasant or unpleasant, cannot take hold of the mind, nor will they establish themselves. Practice like water Rahula. If you become like water, then the sensations which arise, whether pleasant or unpleasant, do not take hold of the mind, nor do they establish themselves. People may wash clean things with water or dirty things, such as pus and so on, but the water is not hurt, nor is it angered or moved to disgust. So too, if you practice like water, Rahula, 
then sensations which arise, whether pleasant or unpleasant, cannot take hold of the mind, nor will they establish themselves. So that's pretty radical. Um, What would it be like to not react with hurt, anger, or disgust towards unpleasant things that happen to us? We could add many other states of mind to um, this hurt, anger, disgust. not reacting to sensual desire, dullness, sleepiness, worry, restlessness, regret, resentment, doubt. These are often listed as obstacles to meditation practice. And um, when our minds um, get caught up and distracted into thinking, it's usually one of these mind states that we are distracted into. Of course, these states naturally arise in the mind. Um, Until we become liberated, we can't keep them from occurring. But we can change our relationship to them by noticing them and when they arise and by cultivating a habit of welcoming them. So tonight I'd like to focus on a particular state of mind, uh, worry and restlessness. This is uh, quite a popular uh, state of mind with many human beings. Um, very much uh, we like to plan things and then we like to plan some more and worry about them if the plans are going to uh, meet our expectations or if we've made the right decision or oftentimes it's just kind of an automatic pilot um, just keeps mind keeps worrying about things and uh, wrestling with them a few years ago, my sister, who uh, meditates in another tradition, she organized a monastic visit with um, first uh, her group, and the uh, they were going to they uh, rented a center for them to have the gathering at, and just all kinds of things went wrong. The, there were problems with the um, the, the center had a minimum and there were problems uh, there wasn't as much interest as they thought there was going to be and they were really concerned that they weren't going to have enough money to cover the expenses or she was at any rate and she was kind of in charge of it and so she had quite a bit of worry that was going on around this whole process and but eventually the event did occur and it was fine but she was talking to one of the monks who had come and she was describing to him the things that she had gone through and how she could work with these in a better way in the future because it had really been kind of difficult for her. And um, he told her to eliminate worry from her consciousness. And um, now I don't know, that, that phrase really stuck with me. Um, now I don't know if he himself had eliminated worry from his consciousness. Perhaps he had, um, but he definitely believed and had faith and trust that it was possible for an ordinary human being. Not that my sister's that ordinary, but um, (laughs) for an ordinary human being to um, 
be able to eliminate worry. Well, we know that um, it's worry never helps. Um, we know that very clearly. We've seen that over and over again. That uh, it's just, but uh, for somehow there's there's some kind of a deep belief in the mind that this is a necessary activity for us to participate in. One of the things that I've had some confusion with, and I've heard others talk about it, um, especially with the practice where we talk about being mindful, um, being aware of our moment-to-moment experience, being in the present moment, um, and how does that relate to planning? Does that mean that as human beings we have to give up planning? And when I was preparing for this talk this evening, I listened to a um, talk on dharmaseed.org that was given by a meditation teacher. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of her. Her name is uh, Narian Grady-Liebenson. Liebenson-Grady, excuse me. And on the... During the talk, she shared a story that I really thought was kind of fun. She said that they had given a eight-week meditation course she teaches in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And they had given an eight-week meditation course. And there had been a gentleman who came every week to the class and was very enthusiastic about the meditation practice. uh, Whenever they had a discussion, he always said how delighted he was to be learning these principles and to be learning how to meditate and how helpful he had found it in his um, life. He was just very happy that he was um, able to take this class. And then on the last night, they had a little circle to end the class and they were going around and people were sharing about what they had learned. And he said, well, you know, as you know, I've been very happy taking this class. I want it to be very beneficial, but um, I have to quit doing this practice. I I can't do this meditation practice because um, you're always talking about how we have to be in the present moment. And I'm a city planner. And um, so I have to quit my job in order to do this practice. And I'm just not prepared to to make that kind of a change. So it was explained to him that um, it was possible to plan um, in a mindful way to bring the activity of planning, uh, to use that as an activity to practice mindfulness. And um, indeed, that this is um, a possibility for, for us. Um, when we decided to look for a new home for Common Ground Meditation Center several years ago now. Um, There was a lot of planning that was necessary um, in order to make that a possibility. So we had to look for a building and then there was, and that was a whole process of planning and looking, uh, getting input from the community and um, making decisions about would be the best for this community. And then once having found a building and decided upon it, which was quite another um, 
bit of planning that went into that. Then the planning for remodeling it and you know, raising the funds to finance it. And it was just many, much planning that um, went on. And there was really an effort during that whole process, all of the people who were involved, to really make it a part of practice. And um, you know, of course, there were times when that was difficult, <laughs> when you know, things did not seem clear. But there really was that strong intention. And I think when there's that strong intention in our planning and our efforts to um, to make plans, that um, the, the likelihood of, you know, if we're skillful in the process of planning, then it's more likely that the outcome will be beneficial um, also. Now, of course, part of this um, process of planning is to keep in mind that um, all of the things that we don't have control over and that this is just a plan, um, just something that um, we are, would like to see uh, come to fruition, but to really keep in mind that, of course, we don't control the future. We can't. Plan and then whatever comes, then we can be um, willing to uh, be open to welcoming that, whatever that may be. Because it's even though things unfold lawfully, that whole process of unfolding is so complicated that um, as human beings we can't possibly um, understand that whole process. So. But what we can do is we can um, be um, aware as much as possible, and we can be welcoming as much as possible. Those are the uh, attendants of mindfulness practice. Now, it's uh, oftentimes when we're sitting in meditation, sometimes the first insight, it's kind of common, first insight that people have is how busy the mind is and how much of that busyness is around worry and planning. So this is a good thing for us to, to know, to be aware of this. And then, so what are we going to do about it? Well, um, it's not so good for us to stop our meditation period and to start writing down our plans. It's better for us to notice that, that there's something that's coming up. Oftentimes there'll be um, some situation that will kind of be coming up over and over again. And we can take note of that. And then um, later we can reflect and we can decide if this is something that we actually need to plan for. And then we can uh, set aside some time so that we can uh, actually sit down and write down our ideas about you know, what uh, what would be um, you know, what we feel would be a good you know, good options, a good scenario for us to um, to follow. So the first thing is that we make this conscious choice. Most of the time, we're not making a conscious choice about planning. It's just an automatic pilot, and um, we really kind of get into believing that you know, all of this planning is like a really necessary um, 
thing for us to do. So we can actually plan to plan, make a choice about planning. Well, sometimes we're, there's, there are things that we are avoiding or procrastinating about. Families will often kind of keep bubbling up in um, meditation practice. So and it's good to, uh, you know, the meditation practice isn't an escape um, from life. It's a way to um, have a better relationship with life. And to, so avoiding and procrastinating isn't a, a better a way, a good way of relating. Um, so, especially if we're doing that, it's good to make a decision to um, to turn towards those problems. That's kind of what we're doing in the meditation practice all along. Is we're just we have a habit of um, turning away from whatever is unpleasant, and now we're deciding to have a new relationship to the unpleasant, and we're going to. Uh, as much as we can, we're going to turn towards it and open up to it. And that's a, a much more skillful and beneficial uh, activity for human beings to, uh, to participate in. And, uh, so we can have a perspective on our need to make a decision. Is this something that is important. Sometimes um, you know, we can ask yourself the question, how important is this? Um, if it's not so important, we don't have to give it a lot of energy necessarily. But sometimes there are major decisions that we need to um, make. And then oftentimes what happens is, even if we consciously choose and sit down to plan, there will be um, maybe several options that will arise and we'll have a hard time kind of knowing maybe some at one point you know one option will seem really good and then something comes in and you know we take a look and oh maybe this option is better and there could be a number of possibilities that will come up and sometimes there can be a lot of confusion that will come along with you know with what decision this you know the best one in this uh, situation. So one of the ways that I've heard people talk about this is to just uh, kind of let the mind, when we're you know, working on these major decisions, see if we can just kind of let those scenarios just kind of run rather than trying to stop them or trying to uh, you know, make one you know, better than the other. And that Sylvia Borstein um, had a suggestion that she uses when um, there are things that are um, going on in her mind that um, she's confused about. She says that she um, listens to those voices as though they were uh, neighbors talking on the other side of the fence. So it's kind of like she imagines and instead of from, um, you know, like, being so identified with the voices. She kind of gives them a little space by imagining that they are neighbors that she's listening to that are talking on the other side of the fence. And she doesn't really have to um, be that involved in their discussion or conversation. It's just kind of running in the background. And she can let it run 
and um, then see what happens. Often, usually these things, um, if, if we don't give them energy, they naturally um, stop of their own. So once we've made a decision, it's uh, good to stick to it. Um, you know, to then we can have it you know, make a decision to stop the planning process, and we can um, we can you know, see, of course, the you know there will be probably the desire to take it up again. Um, we're still not quite sure, but um, we can. Um, just notice that. So in this part, of, in the first part of the process, we're kind of consciously making the decision to turn towards it and to um, to involve ourselves in the planning activity. Uh, now we're doing the other thing. We've made the decision. Now we're doing the process of letting go, letting go, letting go when uh, when those things come up. So sometimes. Um, the, instead of uh, planning and worrying about the future, sometimes there also comes up regrets about the past. So this is sort of prop the same um, sort of state of mind, the worrying about the future, the regretting um, the past. Regret and resentments um, often are also things that, uh, that come up. And um, of course, you know, we notice those and we um, we can um, you know, turn towards them, open up to them as best we can. But sometimes there are things that need our attention. Um, we need to make some action around those regrets. And so again, um, if that's something that's coming up, it's helpful to take some time, to set aside some time to um, reflect on, and it's especially helpful to write down. Um, you know, maybe just kind of review, do a review of our past behavior, and um, look at what regrets are there. And then it, it's, but it's this. It's not like um, you know this um, thing where we're flagellating ourselves or beating ourselves up for this. Bad behavior or bad decisions that we made in the past. It's, I would bring to this um, reflection on these regrets or resentments. We bring a very matter-of-fact attitude towards them, and um, we, you know, we're just making a list and taking a look at that. And then it's really helpful if we have someone who we can share them with, either if we have a spiritual teacher or. A, Good friend who we feel um, will not be judgmental um, about us sharing these. It's, it's a good way. Saying them out loud is um, a really helpful way to to let go of them. And then we can see if there's anything that we need to do beyond that. Is there some? Uh, we've been looking. Perhaps in the future, we just will, you know, having looked at this, um, that these are not skillful behaviors. These are not things that we would like to repeat. Um, so we can um, make some decisions about possibly changing our behavior, or um, maybe we need to apologize to someone um, 
know, we can make those decisions once we're cleared about what uh, what our regrets are. Um, it's a common thing in uh, Buddhist monasteries for people to do this practice. And so oftentimes, like once a week, the monks and nuns will have a formal time where they um, just you know, review their behavior and they express whatever um, regrets that they have about that um, and you know, ask for forgiveness. So that can be a really powerful practice. I spent uh, three months one time at the Bhavana Society in West Virginia. It's a meditation center and monastery that was uh, founded by Bhante Gunaratana. Perhaps some of you have uh, read his book, um, Mindfulness in Plain English, and uh, Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. And I know he's recently written another book as well. And uh, he's uh, Sri Lankan monk. He's been practicing for, I think, well over 50 years, and um, he's quite an impressive uh, human being. But anyway, part of the um, that there was this forgiveness uh, practice that was done there, and at the end of the sitting every night, there would be an opportunity for people to express any regrets that they had and for ask forgiveness for that. It was really quite quite lovely. And actually a, a friend of mine, I was there with a friend of mine and uh, he had an, an altercation one day in the kitchen with one of the nuns. And um, after he got, he came back home, uh, he received a letter from her apologizing for that. And I thought that, I don't know, I was really quite touched by it. Of that willingness to um, to forgive and to ask for forgiveness. So these are some things that we can do to help to calm the mind, help the mind to be more calm and balanced, more easily focused when we sit down to meditate if we've um, taken care of what we need to take care of in terms of planning and in terms of regrets, then oftentimes it's easier for the mind to be focused. Of course, um, it's, we can, um, it's not so good to substitute these activities for the, the seated quiet meditation practice. Um, these are things that um, you know, just that will help to enhance that. So if we have a choice, I think probably the better option would be to to choose to um, to sit with it. But um, anyway, just something to uh, to reflect on. So, um, just a few words about when we sit down and when sitting in meditation practice, how we can work with, um, with the worry and the planning mind. Of course, the, the first thing that we can always do is just to notice it and name it. That's a very powerful practice, um, just to bring it to our awareness. Um, 
This is one of the um, when the Buddha taught about meditation practice. There, there are two um, suttas that are widely taught in, uh, especially in the uh, Western tradition that you know, where I've been um, mostly uh, taught, and that is the um, the Anapanasati Sutta, which is the sutta on breathing in and breathing out. It gives very detailed meditation instructions. And the other one is the Satipatthana Sutta. And that is the four foundations of mindfulness. So it's um, being mindful of the, um, the body and the feelings, the mind and the objects of the mind. So I'd like to just take a moment to read the first part of the instructions from the Anapanasati Sutta. So listen, practitioners, Anapanasati that one has developed and made much of naturally has great fruits and great benefits. Practitioners, Anapanasati that one has developed and made much of perfects the four applications of mindfulness. The four applications of mindfulness that one has developed and made much of perfect the seven factors of awakening. The seven factors of awakening that one has developed and made much of perfect knowledge and liberation. Practitioners, how is Anapanasati developed and made much of so that there are great fruits and great benefits? A practitioner in this training goes into the forest or to the base of a tree to an empty dwelling, sits cross-legged with body upright and securely established mindfulness. The meditator is ever mindful, breathing in and mindful, breathing out. When breathing in, one thoroughly understands, I am breathing in long. Excuse me, when breathing in long, one thoroughly understands, I am breathing in long. When breathing out long, one thoroughly understands, I am breathing out long. When breathing in short, one thoroughly understands, I am breathing in short. When breathing out short, one thoroughly understands, I am breathing out short. So the instructions are very simple, just to be aware. Um, is the breath long? Is the breath short? And But in order to do that, we have to pay attention all along the process of the breath so that we know if, it's, if it is a long breath or a short breath. So, um, so how can we apply these kind of instructions to um, the mind state of worry? First of all, we can you know, we'll draw our attention, we'll become aware that there's a pattern of thinking that's arising in the mind. And we can identify that pattern of thinking as worrying or planning. Sometimes um, there's also, sometimes there's kind of the um, what if scenario. Um, there's, there's anxiety, there's fear of perhaps what's going to happen in the future. That's kind of one um, form of worry. Sometimes, though, there's um, another form of, uh, so it's related to worry, is fantasizing. We can be thinking about very pleasant things that might happen, that we'd like to happen in the future. And we can get very caught up and attached in those. So we, we can take a look and see, 
um, that kind of the flavor of the warrior, the restlessness. And then once we, um, you know, identified it, then we can um, notice if the uh, feelings that are associated with that are they pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? We can ask ourselves that question. And um, not to make an assumption, but because um, that's usually what we do, we usually assume. Um, but to actually, in the moment, to recognize and to recognize what, you know, what is this, what is unpleasantness? What is that feeling of unpleasantness in the mind and in the body? Really, there's many teachers use all kinds of different um, words for that process. Um, Mark often uses the term become intimate with. Um, sometimes it's uh, used uh, make friends with. I've heard um, love it to death. <laughs> and uh, or the, the, what I'm talking about tonight, welcome it. It's another way of, of turning towards that. And then we can also notice, in, in addition to the, um, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, we can notice if there's resistance or attachment to it. Um, it's there. Sometimes it's very obvious. Um, sometimes the resistance is very obvious. Um, and then we can, I mean, we're really caught there and we're really held there. And that's a good time for us really to notice that. What is that like? We don't, we don't want to notice it, but um, we can. And it's important because um, all of these things do end. And that's a very important uh, lesson for the mind to see over and over again, is that these states, when we're in them, even though we intellectually we know it, there's some feeling in the mind that this is like we're going to be in this hell forever. And um, so, not so. We know it never lasts. But to actually see that, for the mind to actually see that, is a, is a really um, beneficial thing for us to do. So that's basically the, the three ways that we can can bring a deeper investigation to the state of worry when we're sitting on the cushion. And just knowing, first of all, recognizing that pattern. Um, then we can um, notice the pleasantness, the unpleasantness, um, the neutrality of it. And then we can notice our resistance to it, our reaction to it. And um, that can just be a very beneficial way for us to practice. So I'd just like to uh, finish up here with uh, this is a poem that I wrote a while ago. I was uh, sitting at my desk and I 
looked out the window and I saw a cardinal sitting on a uh, on a tree, and it was snowing. And um, so it was called uh, entitled "Through the Window." On the branch of the dead mountain ash, a cardinal sits. No thoughts of tomorrow. No regrets for yesterday. Just sitting in the silence of falling snow. So we have a few minutes left now, and I'd like to just ask if anyone would like to share anything that they've noticed about worrying and planning, any way they've worked with it um, or are working with it, any challenges that you've found or any successes uh, that you've um, found or any questions? Yes. Um, I just took the six-week course. Uh, well, it's the second time I took it after seven years. The first time I don't think I got the morning bonus. Um, uh, so a lot of my practice now is, is what you said, you mentioned. And, uh, you were talking about the worry things thing. And uh, I forget the exact words you use for it, but I, I usually think in terms of uh, attraction or aversion. Either, either uh, maybe to the situation I'm worried about, you know, but uh, you know, a lot of my practices, that what I'm trying to do, sometimes when I'm sitting, is when the, you know, the four pillars, you know, either the way my mind feels or my emotions or, or the, the thought process, um, is to um, not feed. Take a neutral stance on all these things. So um, <coughs> uh, it seems like that's been going pretty well, but I wonder if you could kind of elaborate on that. How you how you do that? Or, you know, is is that the proper practice? Is to uh, kind of back off whenever I sense the aversion or attraction. Um, it's really good that you've noticed that um, that there is the attraction or the aversion is present and then um, I mean we want to to the best of our ability to open up so it, it kind of depends sometimes um, we want to get a little space um, like I talked about the listening to the neighbors uh, talking over the fence. Sometimes it's good if um, there's a, um, you know, if there's a kind of a strong reaction or um, you know, it's something that we just learn over time, uh, then we can, um, we don't want to ever push anything away, but we can, I think you said you used like having a more neutral attitude, or I use the word matter of fact. Um, just you know, having that kind of matter of fact attitude towards it. And to be as present with it as we can moment by moment, and to see what happens with it. Um, how long does it last? 
and to have a willingness for it to last as long or as short as it wants. It is our um, feeding of it that keeps those states going. So even a little bit of aversion or a little bit of attraction gives them energy, gives those states energy. So um, sometimes we, you know, we can, as I said, there's other words that are used like this idea of being intimate. Sometimes we can, you know, just like kind of delve into that. We, we don't want to um, be, you know, kind of like tensing up around it or, um, you know, pushing it away. So, you know, there, there is, it's just this kind of balance. So we're, we're looking to, um, to always balance the factors of, of being alert to it, being clear about it, and being relaxed about it. Most of the time, if we're clear about something, we're not so relaxed usually. You know, if there's a, a state that we have aversion to, if there's clarity about it, we're usually... Um, tend to have tension around it. Um, if there is, um, so then we want to have more, we want to see if we can bring in more of the relaxed quality. But oftentimes when, when something will come up, then the, we'll get the relaxed quality of um, you know, sleepiness, drowsiness. That's often kind of what will come in. So then we want to notice that and bring more clarity. So just kind of noticing from moment to moment what is the balance between clarity and between relaxation. Sometimes things seem pretty few when I'm doing meditation, but I've kind of made this decision that the, the meditation period is not a time for following things up to conclusions and decisions, you know. Because then I think that would be really attached to my thinking process and forget about my breathing. <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it involves for me a kind of faith that this nervous system is a machine that is going to operate on its own inertia. And, and that if any, if I'm approaching if the, the thing that goes on during meditation is, is of any use, it'll come back to the thought of whatever will come back, and mm -hmm. I can pick it up later. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I guess when I say following it to conclusion, I don't mean um, like following the story that the mind is telling to conclusion. Um, one of the things that's really helpful is to, like what I was talking about, getting in touch with the the pleasant and unpleasant feelings and the aversion. Um, it's often more, I find that um, this feeling the sensations in the body that are associated with that, with those thoughts, that that is a more, um, a very a more grounding place. And so that's kind of more what I was saying when I was following it to conclusion was, to feel the what, what is the what is the effect um, you know the body is really a good place to to start 
and to see where those sensations, where you know the thoughts of worry, there's always some kind of sensations in the body that are associated with those thoughts, and um, it's it's helpful to uh, be in touch with those. Um, that's a lot of what the avoid, what we're avoiding is not um, not being in touch with those sensations. Thank you. So any other thoughts about worry, planning? something that we worry about. <laughs> if we don't worry, what are we going to do? <laughs> it's kind of if we don't, if we're not constantly busy, <laughs> what will we do? <laughs> um, well, um, hopefully um, there will be um, more skillful and beneficial uh, state of mind that um, that will arise. Um, uh, one of the things is that um, the like these things that we're talking about, mind states like worried, um, these uh, obstacles or hindrances, there they have a um, in uh, the Pali language that the suttas are written in, it's often translated as covering over. It's a covering that's placed over. And what is it covering over? Well, it's covering over um, the natural goodness. Um, the, the Buddha said that um, consciousness is by its nature pure. It just has these visiting guests. Um, and so, um, but most of us, we've given the house over to the guests. <laughs> and they're, they're running rampant and just doing whatever they want. <laughs> and um, we have even forgotten that they are guests for the most part. <laughs> it just it's become so habitual that um, you know, we think that they're um, permanent residents. So um, just the idea of, of seeing through these, I guess there's a, you know, we can have this um, faith and confidence and interest that there's um, something that is more beneficial um, than staying in that state of mind. Anything else? That
That's uh, you know what you've described is um, kind of the nature of the human mind. We're always looking for the next good thing, you know. So it's you know if we're doing this, or, you know, because the because every all of our experiences end, they can't have a lasting satisfaction. So, but we're kind of always we're still sure that. Somehow there's going to be this satisfaction, you know, that will come. If this one more thing that, you know, we're, we're usually not even that quite that clear about it, but that's kind of the way our minds are looking. So um, I guess one way you could think about this is if there's been an activity that you that you really have enjoyed and you've been fully present for, like you know, sometimes musicians talk about you know being in this space when they play that you know where they're just there and the, the, the music is just kind of happening and um, you know it's it's a place of um, little little or no effort or you know for some people like dancing is like that or. Maybe gardening. There's maybe some activity that um, that is like that. So um, if you have had that experience, or if you can imagine what that might be like, that would be um, a place to you know, kind of a way to think about that. But um, with this practice. Um, even the um, activities that we usually think of as very boring or mundane can have that same kind of fulfillment um, where you know there is none of this like kind of what you're describing is this agitation of jumping you know sometimes they call it monkey mind sort of swinging from branch to branch idea to idea activity to activity and um, so when the mind is um, is calm and balanced, concentrated, focused, then any activity has that fulfillment to it. Um, making the bed can, um, can be uh, engaging, observing, and enjoyable activity. <laughs> but um, but you know usually we need to um, welcome whatever it is and um, 
And I guess over time we could uh, develop some faith and confidence that there is this possibility, like the monk said, of eliminating worry or fill in the blank from our consciousness. And what better thing do we have to do with our time anyway? You know, I mean, we, we all spend a lot of time kind of honing our skills in the world, which is fine. We need to do that as human beings, but how much energy? Um, you know, like we could use a little of our, of our energy to hone the skill of, um, of being um, in the moment and um, being uh, welcoming what our experience is right now. Yes? Shower, take a shower, or am I taking a shower to dry myself off and go put my clothes on? 
And so I've been trying to do things like stay in shower. Now I'm washing my armpit. Then I stay in my bed, washing my armpit. And it's funny how a lot of worry vanishes when you just wash your armpits. <laughs> so that's all I can. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.